Okay, we're continuing our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, and as always, we realise that coming together and just hearing a talk is of no use unless uh, the Spirit of God works with them in us to uh, teach us and to change us, so uh, let's express our dependence upon God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus said it very simply, apart from you we can do nothing. Lord, your word is a life-giving word. It is your very word to your people that we might learn from it about who you are, what you have done, but also it says some very hard truths about who we are and what we've done. Lord, we thank you that everything that you declare to us we can bank upon. You are able to do and carry through every single thing that you promise. And Lord, as we uh, continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit, where we see how it is the desire of the Spirit within us to produce uh, a character like yours, we know that so much of that goes very much contrary to the desires of our flesh. Uh, Bring conviction. And Lord, help us to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, that we might not gratify the desires of the flesh but that we might bear witness to the work that you have done within our life, that we might bear the fruit that you have uh, called us and chosen us to bear fruit. Uh, So work within us, soften our hearts to your voice, and Lord, may we walk in a manner worthy of your, your high calling. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue in the the Fruit of the Spirit series, today we come to patience. Now I remember when I did the the sermon on love and I said a part of expressing our love, often to recall that we would would give at all costs. And during that process, that following week, I think I shared in the following week's sermon, it just so happened that my neighbours visited a whole lot that week. Steve, would you happen to have this? Can I borrow this? Have you got this? So I can't say I'm overly looking forward to this week ahead as we speak on patience, if that's sort of setting anything by way of precedence. In that regard, you almost feel like I should apologise, because all of these things that we've been looking at are hard, and they go contrary to our natural desires. And as we seek God and we pray for God to grow us in these areas... In every one of these areas, the way in which we grow is by being challenged in them. And nobody likes being challenged in any of those areas. The way we grow in patience is to have our patience tested. The way we grow in our joy is to have our joy tested. It's peace, love, the whole lot of them. But that being said, it's not something I should apologise for. Even though the journey can be sometimes difficult... It is all part of God's good plans of things that he is using to grow us. And growth often is hard. It's our sixth in the series. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're not just doing verses 22 and 23 and nine things. We saw mentioned many times, verse 23 says, and things such as these. And so we will be looking at things that are outside the list. Our definition of spiritual fruit or fruit of the Spirit was this. All transformation of attitude, thoughts and actions produced by the Spirit in a Spirit-led believer to bring you into conformity to Jesus Christ. So it's basically godly character, the character of God being produced in his people by the Spirit. 
And we've seen that tension that it's the Spirit who produces, but also we are given the responsibility and we are called to bear fruit. The analogy we've used over and over again is the idea of if you want apples in your backyard, your primary pursuit is not apples. Your primary pursuit is buying the tree, looking after it, planting it, and doing all those things. And so also the fruit of the Spirit are not a list of nine or even more things to pursue individually, but through a close connection to Jesus Christ. And from there comes the outworking is the fruit of the Spirit. Something else we've seen a number of times if we look through is that the Bible never speaks of fruits of the Spirit, as though there is this one, this one, this one but it speaks of a singular one fruit which consists of all godly characteristics. The fruit, the one thing that God, the Spirit desires to produce in the life of his people is to produce all of God's character traits in his people. So there's that sense that the fruit of the Spirit is the domain of all Christians. It's not to say there's some Christians who specialise in one and some who specialise in another. It's, it's different to spiritual gifts in that regard. But not only are the fruit the domain of all Christians, but also there are no limitations in what situations there are to be applied. We've seen that some of the difficult challenges that regards to love, that it doesn't say and exercise this this fruit of love towards those towards seems obvious or who deserve to be loved. There are no conditions of circumstances or who is qualified for us to respond to in that way. And the same to be said when we come to patience. It's not something that speaks to people who are just naturally patient. It is something that the Spirit desires to produce in all of us. And I'll put my hand up as someone who is naturally not patient. Doesn't mean that it applies any less to me. As others things, as we go through these things, some will find some of these areas extremely hard. Some will find, don't even know what needs to be said. It seems obvious. We all will struggle in different areas, but God holds us all to the same high standards. Just that in the areas which we struggle the most, whether by natural disposition or whatever, those areas we will battle against. We will find much harder. Patience, what are we talking about? Because when you look through your Bible translations, depending on what version you've got in front of you, you'll have different words. Some of you will have patience. Some of you will have long-suffering. Now, there's nothing overly Christian about this. This It's just the Oxford Dictionary given a definition of patience. The quality of being patient. His English teacher did did this person have. You're not supposed to use the word in the definition of something. Anyway, the quality of being patient as the bearing of provocation, annoyance, misfortune or pain without complaint, loss of temper, irritation or the like. An ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay, to have patience with a slow learner. Quiet, steady perseverance, even-tempered care, diligence to work with patience. It seems quite detailed. So I'm trying to narrow it down to a shorter definition. A calm, level-headed response to people or circumstances that are not to our liking. Get that again? So patience, a calm, level-headed response to people or circumstances that are not to our liking. Now the fruit of the Spirit, as we've said, 
is the character of God being displayed in the life of his people. Therefore, it is character which we see in God himself. When we see the words of Paul to the Ephesians, he has this to say, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So from Paul's perspective, this whole concept of walking in a manner worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ includes being patient. So if that's an important measure of walking worthy of God, then we need to know what are the things which are a threat to it and what are the things which help us to grow in our patience. If all of the fruit is our measure and our example is seen in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, then we need to look at how has he revealed himself in his patience. Before Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, this is the way the Lord revealed himself to him. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and so it goes on. That this is the very nature of the character, the way he reveals himself as being one who is slow to anger. Or as we look to the example of Christ as expressed in 1 Peter, we see it this way. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So say Christ has already suffered, He's done so as an example that we might follow in his steps. And this example that we're called to and follow in his steps goes on to say he committed no sin. It's not to say that we're going to be sinless, but that's our desire to not be found in sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So of all of the injustice that came towards Jesus, he never responded in the same way in which he received it. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, knowing that God has appointed a day when he will judge all things done in the flesh and that he will do so with righteousness and justice. That's the patience of our God. That's the work that the Spirit of God wants to work within us, that we do not respond to people according to the way in which they deal with us. Now we're going to look at three different situations in which our patience gets tested, and it won't be comprehensive, but there's three that I first thought of. First is patience when we get mistreated. Now if all of us are honest, none of us are patience to the extent to which the example we've seen is in God and is in Jesus Christ especially when we've been mistreated. Who can say that they patiently endure when they're mistreated as though it's nice and pleasant? Now, if we were the reason, like we were at fault, sometimes we might be quite okay with that. We might be quite comfortable because then maybe I deserve that. But when we're doing the right thing, when we're doing what is good, we find it difficult when we get mistreated. We get frustrated. We want justice. But justice is not to be sought by us, but by God. 
We saw there in the reading in 1 Peter, he says, but instead he trusted himself to the one who will judge all. Last week we saw the reading of how he responded to such things in Romans 12, saying, repay no one with evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge for yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We don't need to take matters into our own hand. When someone hurts us, we don't need to respond to somehow feel that, that things have balanced out. God has promised that he's appointed a day when he will set all things right. And when we decide that we need to have our own payback, we need to receive something for ourselves, we want to seek our own justice, we effectively say that, God, we are not satisfied that you will do adequately. We're not, we're not trusting that you will do right justice in all things. So we're told in First Peter this, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's an interesting phrase that, isn't it? Those who suffer according to God's will. I've certainly been to churches where they would say that no way would it ever be God's will that a person would suffer. God tells us it is. We've seen so many times that through both good things and difficult things, God is using them both to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. He has a good purpose in using both. And for those who suffer according to God's will, even if what they're doing is right, Peter's advice is trust yourself to a faithful creator. Trust yourself to him who is faithful. And not only entrust yourself to him, but continue to do good, even if that good is the very thing for which you're being mistreated for. Now, the Bible's not lacking of examples of people who are mistreated. We see a lot of people who are doing the right thing by God, walking in obedience, and we see them go through terrible things. We think, God, why would you allow that to happen? Now, one of the benefits we have is we get to read the story from start to finish. It might be within a few pages. And it's quite easy to deal with something when it's within a few pages. But in the life of the people who are experiencing that suffering, it might have gone on for years. Let me just give you one example. Poor old Joseph. All of his brothers get a bit jealous about him. They go, put him in a well, put him in a hole, leave him hoping he's going to die. Let's see how Joseph reflects on that later down the track. Genesis 50. As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So he says, your intentions, yes, they were genuinely evil, but God had a good plan. And sometimes our own difficulties, our own mistreatment that we experience, sometimes God uses that not only for our good, but sometimes for the good of others. Just sometimes we wish we knew, had a bit of insight as to how that was going to work out and what the time frame was. But we have an assurance from the character of God who is faithful that he can be trusted amid adversity. But guess what? Our patience isn't only tested when we're mistreated. So if you thought, whew, that's it. We know there's so much more to that. Secondly, we want to look at patience when we get provoked. 
Now, there's some differences there. We don't have much say in being mistreated. If somebody mistreats you, you, you it just happens. But when it comes to being provoked, you've got some degree of saying because it comes down to how am I going to respond? Now, how we get provoked might be in all sorts of different ways. It could be in the home setting or your workplace where you're in a position of authority and someone just defies your authority. Or it could be that one person who knows exactly what buttons to press on you and does it every single time. I confess as a young teenager, I used to love doing that can't say I get the same joy out of it now, but that's what I used to be like. But when we are provoked, we have two opportunities. We have an opportunity to express the character of God. We saw there in 1 Peter, when all these things happened to Jesus, he did not respond in like manner. And that is the character the Spirit wants to work within us in patience, that we would respond, that we would be slow to become angry. Because that's the character of God we've seen in Exodus 34, 6. And also exactly what we're called to do the same in James. We're told to know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there is both the aspect of producing the character and revealing the character of God as the spirit is at work within us. But also when we operate in the flesh and we respond according to our fleshly desires, he says, I guarantee you, it will not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now in coming weeks, we're going to start looking at multiple things in each week, so it's not just going to be one thing particular week. But even already in the early stages, we've seen a fair lot of crossover between the different aspects of the fruit of the spirit. When we looked at love, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. And we saw the way that 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about actions that demonstrate what love looks like. And one thing you notice is the very first thing it describes of what loving actions look like. It says, love is patient and kind and so on and so on. So as God's people, we are called to be patient for a number of reasons. We've seen from Ephesians 4.13 that this is part of walking in a manner pleasing to God. Second, we've just seen now in 1 Corinthians 13, this is part of love in action being expressed. And third, we've seen it is an opportunity to express the character of God himself. Now, in our main reading that we had, the parable of the unforgiving servant, there was a number of characters that you had a king who was owed a lot by one servant. And there was also a second servant who owed a little amount to the first servant. Now the analogy there was that the king was representative of God of whom we had a massive debt against because of our sin. The claims of both of the servants towards the person they owned was, be patient with me and I will repay you. Yet the one who owed the most to the king, representative of us and our sin towards God, the king, representative of God, quickly and swiftly forgave the one with the greatest offence. Then that same one who'd received that wonderful grace of God, who's received the same request, be patient with me and I'll repay you, did not express the same patience and grace to the one who owed him little. The point that was given was that God is extremely patient with us. He bears with us in all of our hostility towards him, in all of the ways that we do not live in a life that's pleasing to his sight, 
Yet he has forgiven us greatly. Therefore, how much more should we do the same to those who are around us, who mistreat us so much in a smaller manner in comparison to the way in which we fail, God? Any awareness of how much we fail on a daily basis will cause us to pour out our thanks for God and his patience with us. No other human relationship would someone bear with us to the extent that our God does and how regularly we let him down. And as we reflect upon his patience shown to us, then it is entirely reasonable that we be patient with all as we have called to be done. Now, some of us will have a rather impatient personality. Unfortunately, I've developed that. Sarah will tell you that when I was younger, I was not the least bit impatient ever. Maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy, I don't know. But that's not an excuse, because I find it easier that way now. The same spirit dwells within me now as it used to dwell within me younger. I have the same resources at hand, I have the same standard to which I'm called to. The third thing we're going to look at, patience while bearing with others. So, so far we've talked about being mistreated or being provoked. Some of the things in which we're called to be patient isn't when someone's intentionally doing something towards us. For example, maybe at your workplace. There might be someone there who just doesn't work at the same pace as you or isn't at the same level or has different expectations of how things need to be done. Now, this is some of the areas in which our impatience gets really, really, really petty, doesn't it? When it becomes a matter of personal opinions or personal preference of how something should be done. It's not uncommon for me when I do premarital counselling th- stuff to actually give examples and talk about some of those little things. You'd be surprised some of the little things that cause big issues. Even if it's something like toilet paper, does it dispense from the front? Or does it dispense the wrong way? (laughs) How to correctly load a dishwasher. It's funny the way that some people get so heated and uptight over little tiny things of personal preference. We get really impatient when someone or something is not performing or acting according to our expectations. That's really what it is, isn't it? A lot of those things, they're not actually right or wrong. They're just personal preferences. And we get impatient with someone if they don't meet up to our personal preferences or our expectations. But when we do that, the presupposition is that all of my thoughts and all the ways I do things are right and they're good. And everyone else is inferior because they don't do them my way. We probably all know someone like that or we might have worked with someone like that who has a set way they do every single thing and even if there's a heat's better way, they're not listening to it. This is how it's done. This is the right way. Often that same person, while they're quick to criticise others, pretty lenient on themselves and want to overlook their own things. But on what basis do we look down upon others when we think that their abilities are not as good as ours or they don't do things the right way according to our standards. I like the challenge Paul puts out to the Corinthians when they're all boasting about which apostle they belong to. Paul says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour of one against another. 
For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you have received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Now, every single one of the gifts that we have, every single one of the abilities we have, we have as a gracious gift of God. So when we start to look down upon others, because they might not have that gift, they might not have that ability, they're not at the level that we seem to think that we're at, we are beginning to take credit for what God's done. And boasting as though it's something we've done. Now the New Testament often has this phrase in it, bear with one another. And it's writing to Christians and how they relate to one another. And if we're called to bear with one another, it's because even Christians sometimes are difficult to live with, to be amongst. You could describe that as being graciously accepting the faults and limitations of others, knowing how deeply God bears with us in all of our faults and limitations. Paul associates patience and bearing with one another on a couple of occasions. The first we've already seen in Ephesians, where he says, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It requires patience to bear with one another. Makes the same point again in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. As I've said, with all things regarding the fruit of the Spirit, there's no limitations. It doesn't say, bear with the ones that you like the most. Bear just with your family members or your close little circle of friends. It addresses the church, says, bear with one another. Now, we all know it's much easier to bear with some people than others. Sometimes we might even find the same faults in our friends that are in the other people. We find it easier to deal with the ones that we like the most. Maybe there's some truth in that thing that love covers a multitude of sins. But just as we saw when we looked at love that said that it was not restricted to anyone as to who it is right and not right to apply it to, we are called to love all. And we see one of the outworkings or expressions of that love, love is patient. So if we are to grow in our love for one another, we also need to be growing in our patience with one another. Now, one of the dangers there is when we talk about bearing with one another, with all their faults, all of their weaknesses, some people might think, oh, that just means you're just a big old doormat. You say, anything goes. Is that the way the Bible speaks of the Christian life? In 2 Timothy, we have two different passages that make it very clear that being patient with one another and bearing with one another does not mean addressing important things. We're told that all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So bearing with one another doesn't mean just overlooking everything. There are things which need to be corrected. There are things that need to be spoken about. Or to specifically tie it together with patience, just in the following chapter, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Because often, if you need to correct somebody, it's not always well received. When you read something in God's word that convicts us, we don't always like it. Because it says there's something wrong with us. And that's not something for us to get all, all down the dumps, there's something wrong with us. We know there's something wrong with us. The Bible tells us there is. But see, what has God provided? What has he promised? What is he doing? How can I submit that to him? Another aspect of patience is patiently waiting on God. Whether it's waiting in God in response to prayers, the fact that we're called to wait upon the Lord tells us something. It tells us that God doesn't always work according to our timetable. We see the psalmist in Psalm 40 writing, I have patiently waited for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now we've all experienced waiting patiently on the Lord. Or some of us have at least experienced waiting on the Lord even if we didn't do it with patience. Now it could be because we've been praying for the salvation of a friend or a family member or a particular situation that we find ourselves within that we've brought before Lord and we're looking for, for an answer to that prayer. But we're called to wait upon the Lord patiently. Because when we become impatient, we're starting to question, God, do you listen to me? God, are you able? Are you willing? God, are you a bit slow dragging on the chain on this one? Sometimes I really wish when we brought things to God in prayer, you get like a little email back in response saying, I've heard it and this is the date when I'm going to answer it. Sometimes it's quick and we love those ones because they're easy. But it's tough in the middle of something you've been bringing before God in prayer for years and not seeing a tangible result. And if that's your experience, you are not the first person. The scriptures are full of people who patiently brought things before God in prayer and saw nothing. Think about poor old Abraham, promised he's going to have a son. Years and years go by, he hasn't got one. God's promised him, you're going to have this, and you're like, doing all the right things. Eventually thinks, he's my slave girl, if we have a child with her, maybe that's how God wants to do it. Maybe I'll take matters into my own hand because I know what the end result is. We need to be patient with God and his timetable. It's not our job to achieve his end results without him. God certainly didn't bless Abraham for that, that particular action of taking things into his hands. James speaks of patience being like a farmer. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. I've never been a farmer, but I know that I can be quite impatient when I want something. I, I'd like this idea if I planted something, I'd just want it the next day, but it doesn't happen that quickly. I know there's lots of fruits and things you grow. You put the plant in the tree and it actually doesn't bear fruit for lots and lots and lots of years. When I first looked at moving up to Toowoomba, my first thing was, I wonder if I can grow coffee in Toowoomba. Apparently you can, but it takes at least three years to actually get anything on it. When we bring our things before God in prayer, we trust him, we need to be patient, and in the midst of that time, we need to do what we're called to do. 
that is to walk in obedience with him, trust him, trust in his promises, and trust that God is going to do the rest in his good timing. He is faithful and he's unchanging. He can be trusted with the outcome of things. Even when we don't see the time frame. Think about the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about things for years and years. Some of them didn't even see any tangible response in the people that they ministered to. They didn't see the fulfilment of some of the things they prophesied about. Yet they didn't doubt God when they didn't see the results. And in closing, we're going to look at this. Persevering through adversity. We said different Bible translations have be patient or be long-suffering when mistreated or when provoked. Also, we're called in patience to endure and persevere in trying circumstances. To endure means to be unmoved by adversity and to persevere means to keep moving in the same direction in spite of the adversity. Whether that adversity comes from people, from circumstances, from the work of Satan, God's discipline, we don't know what the source of the thing is. Whatever it is, to endure, to persevere, to find hope and encouragement in the scriptures. Now why would I say that? Because God says it. In Romans 15.4, Paul says, For whatever was written in former days, so he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So if you're the sort of person who thinks, New Testament, I'll read all that stuff, that's all the good Jesus stuff, all this old stuff doesn't apply to me. Paul says, all that stuff, that was written for our benefit. For our instruction. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of blokes in this room, and it's probably not just blokes, but blokes are better at it. Not good at following instructions. How many times have you bought something and you've broken it because you've decided you knew, you mastered it, I know how to do all these things, and by the time you've done your genius work on it, you can't return it because it's in a state you can't return it. I've made many mistakes from neglecting instructions says, these examples that we have in the scriptures of people who faced adversity is there for our instruction to see. We can see the big picture when we look at their lives. We can see what, what happened to them. We can see how they've responded to it. And we can see, even though it might be from our perspective within a few pages, we can see how God uses that in the end. And that is given to us so that we might have encouragement and have hope. To know that our God who is unchanging, the same yesterday and forever, he's done this in the past. This is what our God is like. When you read stories about Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David and Job, we see how God isn't working his people. Now poor old Job, he was described as being a blameless man. Yet pretty much everything's taken from him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'd love to think I could say the same in the same situation, but I... Don't know that I would, but we'll find out. Well, hopefully we don't find out. What a stupid thing to say. (laughs) Rob that out of the recording. But over a long time, even his friends starting to question him in a big way. Eventually he comes to the point that God can do what he wants to do. God is working good things. 
Now, as far as we know, Job is never given insight as to why and how he went through the things he went through. Now, if we know, reading through the scriptures of this thing where Satan's saying this is why this is happening and God's allowing these things, Job doesn't get those insights, as far as we're aware anyway. Paul told us in Romans 15, these things were written for our instruction, that we might know the character of God who deals in the lives of people who do go through adversity, who can show us how he sustains, how eventually he does bring these things to an end. There is a good purpose in them. I can guarantee there's a whole lot of times when Job wouldn't have thought so. And if these things were written for our instruction, if we don't read the whole Bible, we're going to have a very limited view of God's character and what he has done in the life of his people. We're going to have a limited encouragement from the scriptures, a limited hope of what God has provided for us for that purpose to instruct us. So if there are parts of the Bible that, if you've been, particularly if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've read some books over and over and over again and there's some that you've never even touched, I'd encourage you to read them. Even if it's Leviticus. I actually love Leviticus. Sometime I'm going to be really tempted. I just might preach a series on Leviticus and hopefully you'll demonstrate your patience toward me in the process. But as we're called to pray for all of these things, as we pray for patience and endurance, we need to recognise that's not always going to mean that things are going to be sweet and easy. The way in which we grow in these things is by having them tested. And I don't like my patience being tested. But it's only by enduring and standing amongst testing situations that we grow and are strengthened. So just let me finish on this from Romans 5 that Paul has to say. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So there's an opportunity to to learn endurance. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, As we look at something such as patience, I know for myself it shows me exactly how selfish I am. And I insist upon my rights, the things that I want, my time frame. Yet I know your character. You've, you've made it very clearly known. But when I become impatient, I don't, I'm not trusting in your character. I'm trusting in my perception of events. Lord, we are called to be a loving community. You've told us part of expressing of our love is to be patient and to bear with one another. Not just a limited few, but one another, all. Your spirit is the same spirit which dwells in every single one of us, who desires to bring about your character through the life of your people. We know our natural flesh the desires desire completely the opposite, but Lord, we pray that you would grow us in patience and that you would grant us the grace uh, to, to not resort back to our normal fleshly habits, but to trust the work of your spirit to demonstrate your perfect patience. Thank you for your patience toward us. 
We thank you that even though we on a daily basis do things that are disappointing to you, we let you down, we sometimes just uh, by our actions completely deny you. We thank you for your patience. Help us to be patient with one another. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.